Well, good morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? It's an awesome morning. Uh, I was looking back through my uh, calendar and my records, and I couldn't find exactly when was the last time that I was up here uh, sharing with you. But I know it's been uh, over 10 years because we left Pueblo in uh, December of 2012 and uh, never thought we would come back to Pueblo. You know, but God works in His ways and His timing, and here we are 11 years later. We've been back for about 10 months now. And uh, so we're back in Pueblo and uh, re-engaging in Majestic and just really am enjoying getting to know a lot of new people. Uh, when we were here 10 years ago, a lot of you were not. So uh, we're glad that you're here, glad that you're here. We're sad that some of the people that we knew and some of our good friends have moved on to other parts of the country, but it's glad to be here. Uh, before I get into the message today, I want to uh, <clears throat> thank you. And I want to uh, kind of, in the context of that thinking, kind of do a little... Uh, commercial, if you will. <clears throat> kind of weird, huh? Anyway, uh, I want to thank you for your giving. Uh, for your giving to the Majestic Baptist Church budget, because a portion of that budget goes to what we call in our Southern Baptist Convention, the Cooperative Program. And the Cooperative Program in our Southern Baptist Convention, they decide how to uh, spend the money that they get from all of our churches. And uh, part of that is that they give to our your six Southern Baptist seminaries. And that allows seminary students to go to seminary at about a 40% reduction in tuition. So you are participating in this, the education of seminary students. Now, you have six Southern Baptist seminaries. Gateway Seminary, which I'm connected with, is the seminary for the West. We have six campuses. We have one in the Los Angeles area, one in the uh, San Francisco area, one in the Portland area, one in the Phoenix area, one in the Denver area, and then we have the online campus, which is the one that I'm connected with. I've been teaching at uh, Gateway Seminary for a little over 18 years. Uh, in, in some capacity or another. And uh, currently, I'm the assistant director of the Doctor of Ministry program and teach at the, uh, in the Doctor of Ministry program. And in our program, our students come through in a cohort. We, we have a cohort of students that are 8 to 12 students, so we can keep the classes small. We can give them personal attention. And uh, in that context, uh, we teach seminars that are anywhere from 4 to 8 weeks long. I want to share with you this morning the cohort that I'm teaching right now. Every Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock, I have the privilege of teaching with these gentlemen. And the reason I want to do this is because I want you to listen to where they're located. I want to start in the east and go to the west. We have a, a Methodist, and I don't know why he chose to be a part of a Baptist seminary, but we have a Methodist missionary in Japan. Have a local Nepalese pastor in Kathmandu. I have a Myanmar pastor who is pastoring a Myanmar church in Thailand. I have an international mission board uh, missionary in Poland. I have another international missionary, a mission board missionary in Turkey. I have a pastor of an English-speaking Baptist church in Paris. 
I have a missionary administrator of a mission sending organization up in Denver, and then I have an international mission board missionary in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Can you imagine those gentlemen coming together every week from all over, literally all over the world to learn how to be better ministers, missionaries, sharing the Word of God, reaching people for Jesus Christ. And you've had a part in that because of your giving to Majestic who gives to the Coffee Program. So on behalf of Gateway Seminary, I want to say thank you for what you are doing in your giving. Uh, just as a side, uh, we are thinking about and beginning the thoughts of maybe offering some seminary classes here in Pueblo. So, Dr. Shane Cannon, who is out on the Mesa, is a recent graduate of our doctoral program, and uh, he's been talking about and been talking with the director up at Denver, and we may be offering some classes here. So, if you're just interested in sticking your toe in seminary education, uh, keep tuned, stay tuned. Go with me to work with the Lord in prayer, if you would, please. Father, it amazes me how wonderful your word is. Lord, it's alive. It never returns void when it is shared. And Lord, it, it amazes me because every time I share a message from your word, you take that and you customize that for every person that's sitting in the room. Lord, they all hear the same words, but you use those words to touch them right where they are. And so, Lord, I ask you to do that today. Father, I ask you to take what I say and let it get out of the way of what you want to do in the lives of the people here. Thank you, Jesus. Wisdom and creation. Uh, when, when Scott asked me to preach, he wanted me to continue in Proverbs, and we kind of sat down over lunch together and kind of looked at uh, where he was going to be and so forth and kind of said, okay, what is this deal with wisdoms and Proverbs? In chapter 3, it talks about wisdom's involvement in creation. And in, in chapter 8, we're going to see that that comes and fleshes out more. But wisdom and creation. Now, I've got a confession to make to you from the very beginning. I believe in the Big Bang. I believe there was void over the entire universe, nothing at all, and God said, let there be light, and bang, there was light. That's the Big Bang, folks. That's the Big Bang. Turn me, if you, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 3. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting uh, thing here because these two verses, verse 19 and 20, are, are kind of parenthetical. Uh, the writer talks about trusting in the Lord with all your heart. In the first part of this, he talks about blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And he goes on and talks about how wonderful wisdom is. But right in the middle of all this, right in the middle, 
In verse 19:20, he says this: "The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew." So it's kind of like, okay, why is that there? It's just kind of stuck in the middle. Why is it there? Why I think it's there because what the writer is saying is that wisdom is as old as creation. That wisdom has been around for a long time. And that if you go against wisdom, if you go against God's wisdom, you're going against the entire structure of creation. But the writer picks it up again and goes into detail over in chapter 8. So if you'll turn with me over to chapter 8, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. <clears throat> Starting in verse 22, read down through verse 31. The Lord possessed me at the beginning. Now this is wisdom talking. And, and Pastor Scott's told you that wisdom, the, the wisdom is in the female form in the Hebrew. And so this is wisdom talking. And wisdom says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, at the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth and with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew back a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firms the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the seas its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was his daily delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So, as I read these two passages of Scripture, there are four questions I'd like to answer today for us. First of all, where did God come from? Secondly, where did wisdom come from? And then, what was wisdom's role in creation? And then finally, how do we respond to wisdom? The great African-American preacher, S.M. Lockridge, Dr. S.M. Lockridge, who pastored in San Diego during the latter part of the 19th century, 20th century. I had a guy come up to him after uh, service, and he, had, Dr. Lockridge, had been talking about creation, and this man came up and says, Now, preacher, you said that God came from nowhere. And that doesn't make sense. And let's just be reasonable about it, preachers. Let's just be reasonable about this, that God didn't come from nowhere. Dr. Lockery said this, All right, if you want to know, if you want to be reasonable about it, the reason God came from nowhere is there's nowhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he had to stand on nothing because there was nowhere for him to stand. And standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing to catch and hung that something on nothing and told it to stay there. Now, standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will. He struck the anvil of his own omnipotence, and sparks flew. He caught them on the tips of his finger and flung them out into space and bedeckled with the heaven with stars. But no one said a word. And the reason no one said anything, there was nobody to say anything. 
And so God himself said, this is good. You see, God has always existed as God. He's always existed as God. Psalm 920, 90, 92, 90 verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, let's kind of do a little theology lesson here, okay? I want to talk about a couple of theological terms. The first one is the aseity of God. Now, that's a, a fancy theological term. But basically what it means is this. It means that God exists in and of himself. He's totally independent of anything else. He's the uncaused cause. He's the uncreated creator. He is dependent on no one or no thing. Now, you and I, we're dependent on stuff. We have to have oxygen to breathe. We have to have intake water or we get dehydrated and we'll eventually die. We have to have food or we will eventually die. We're dependent upon the sun to heat our planet or we, or we will freeze to death. We're dependent on all kinds of things as human beings. But God is not dependent on anyone he is totally self-sufficient, self-contained. He exists in and of himself, totally independent of anything else. But also, I think we need to look at the eternality of God. You see, God has no beginning and he has no end. He's always existed and he always will exist. Now, eternity, future, I can kind of grasp a little bit. I don't know about you. But when we sing like Amazing Grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We go on and on and on. And in math, we learn this little thing called infinity that goes on and on and on. And I can, I can kind of grasp that a little bit. But eternity past? Man, that makes my head explode. The fact that God has always existed and, and he wasn't created. We, we believe and we see everything around us that has a beginning. But God had no beginning. He has always existed. Where did God come from? He came from nowhere because he has always existed as God. Now, that kind of, again, that kind of makes my, blade, my brain explode. But it's the truth. It's who God is. But where did wisdom come from? Well, we have a little problem here in verse 22 of chapter 8. It's a translation problem. You know, when, when the Bible is translated, where anything is translated from one language to another, there, there's oftentimes a lot of things that are just don't quite work. Or... In the case of the Bible, there is a word that was used that has several meanings, and that's the case we have in, in uh, verse 22 here. You see, the, the Hebrew word here translated in various ways. The actual word can mean to get, to acquire, to possess, or even to buy. And so we see in the New National Version, it said, He brought me forth as the first of His works. The CSB, Christian Standard Bible, says he acquired me. 
the NLT says he formed me. But I believe the ESV and the King James and others translate this the best when it says the Lord possessed me. He possessed me. He had wisdom when he created the world, when he created the universe. And again, let's do a little side theology here and talk about the immutability of God. Basically, what that means is God never changes. He's the same today as he was when he created the universe. He's the same today as when he was before he ever was, because he always was. Well, that'll mess with your mind, won't it? Malachi 3.6 says, For the Lord, for I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And since wisdom is an attribute of God, just like love, just like grace, just like mercy, wisdom is an attribute of God, and God never changes, then wisdom must have always been a part of God. Therefore, he did not create it. Because if he created it, it would be like saying he created a part of himself. So wisdom has been there forever as a characteristic of God. Third question is, what was wisdom's role in creation? We see here that in verse 23 and following, wisdom reiterates that she was there before creation because she has always been a part of God and what she saw in creation. But then we see in verse 30 two major roles that wisdom had in creation. Uh, there may be more, but this is what the Bible tells us, too. First, wisdom was the architect or the designer of creation. The, again, translation issue here. It says master workman in that verse in the ESV. Well, the actual word in the Hebrew means architect or designer. You see, how did God think up the mountains? How did God envision the seas and the, the fish and animals? How did God envision all the things he created, the stars our planets going around the sun and our solar system and all kinds of other things in the universe. How did God envision all those? Through his wisdom. Through his wisdom, he thought about that. He created that. He, he brought it into existence through his power, but through his vision is where he, he imagined it and designed it. So wisdom is the designer, the architect of the universe. <clears throat> wisdom, and this is, I thought this was very interesting as I got into this, wisdom was God's cheerleader, companion during creation. Look, look at verse 30 here. It says, And I was his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. How did that happen? You know, we really don't know, but I kind of imagine it like this. Through wisdom, through his wisdom, God imagined and designed the entire universe. And then through his power, he created the universe. And then as he was creating this, wisdom was saying, oh man, that's good. Hey, hey 
That's perfect. That, that's exactly the way I envision it. That is exactly the way that it should be. And then his final design, her final delight, wisdom, was the creation of you and me, of human beings. Wisdom was God's cheerleading companion during creation. So where did God come from? God came from nowhere because he always has been. Where did wisdom come from? Wisdom has always been a part of God. What was wisdom's role in creation? Well, wisdom, through the wisdom, God designed the entire universe, and wisdom was there to be God's cheerleader as he created the universe. But for you and me, the question becomes, how do we respond to wisdom? How do you and I respond to wisdom? Well, first of all, we need to know God's wisdom. We need to know God's wisdom. You know, like I said, I've taught at Gateway Seminary for a little over 18 years now. And uh, I've noticed something to me that's very, very disheartening and sad. The quality of students we have coming in now are different than the quality of students we had when I started 18 years ago. I don't think they're any really less intelligent, but they are not the type of student who tries to figure out things themselves. They're not the type of students that's self-initiative. And time and time again, I'll get an email, and it'll say something like this. Dr. Cole, I don't understand this assignment. What do you want me to do? And I will respond basically the same way every time. Have you read the instructions? Because lots of times they don't. They just say, well, I don't, this doesn't make sense. I'll just email the professor and ask him what he wants. So let me ask you this. In regard to God's wisdom, have you read the instructions? Right here is God's wisdom. This is the instruction book that we have. So how do we go about reading the instruction book? Well, we carefully read God's Word. We carefully read it. We need to be Bereans. In Acts 17, it says this, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They, their lives were in danger. That's why they sent them away. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the scriptures. They got into the scriptures. They read the scriptures for themselves. Don't take literally for yourself what someone else tells you about God's word. Get into it yourself. They are more than likely right, especially in a Bible-based church like Majestic, but you need to get into the Word yourself. Carefully read the Word. And then prayerfully read the Word. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you as you read this Word. To give you a clearer understanding, a stronger certainty that this is true, a deeper love for this Word, and a deeper commitment to obey it. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life as you read the Word. 
And then faithfully read God's Word. Faithfully read God's Word. Have a plan. You know, there are all kinds of Bible reading plans out there. There's, you know, read the Bible through in a year, read the New Testament through in a year. There's devotional guides. Uh, we have open windows out there. We have others out there in the foyer that you can use. And a plan to read through God's Word. And develop that plan. Have a plan to read through words. But there's a warning here. All of us have our favorites, right? I could camp out in the book of Psalms and the book of 1 John all the time. But don't do that. Read the full word. Read Habakkuk. Habakkuk's a great book. You ever heard of Habakkuk before? It's about three pages long. It's a great book in the Old Testament. Now, I know you can get bogged down in Deuteronomy and you know, so forth, but uh, read the entire word. Have a plan. Follow the plan. And then forgive yourself when you fail the plan. Because you're not going to be perfect in reading God's word. I'm not going to be perfect in God's word. My wife and I just got over COVID. Somebody talked to, uh, Johnny talked about COVID earlier. My wife and I just got over COVID and, uh, you know, I admit I didn't read the word faithfully every day during COVID. There's other things that come up where we don't read the Word. So forgive yourself, but have a plan. So understand and know God's wisdom, and then trust God's wisdom. Trust God's wisdom. When our two sons were in middle school, they were two years apart, and they went through school. And they both had this same teacher in middle school. And they used to, to come home and, and tell us and just kind of laugh and chuckle about this teacher because when the teacher was reviewing for a test, he would always say the same thing when he came across some fact, some concept. He'd say, you need to know this. You can believe me now or you can believe me later. And what he was saying was, this is going to be on the test. And you can believe me now, it's going to be on the test. Or you can believe me later when then you realize that it's on the test and you haven't studied for it. We need to trust God's wisdom. You can believe Him now or you can believe Him later when you fall flat on your face because you haven't followed His wisdom. And I can do the same thing. So we need to trust His wisdom that it is the best way to go. And finally, we need to use God's wisdom. We need to use God's wisdom. How do we do that? How do we use God's wisdom? Well, let me share with you an illustration here. I, I consider myself to be a fairly decent handyman. Uh, my dad was an excellent, excellent handyman. He could fix anything, basically. Uh, he was a great, great mechanic. He taught me how to rebuild an engine when I was 15 years old, and I've rebuilt about half a dozen engines since then. Uh, I can fix most anything around our house. And um, sometimes when I'm in the back of the house working, and I'm working on something that needs a pair of pliers and a screwdriver, and I'm working on this thing, and then all of a sudden I realize I need a hammer. And I'm in the back of the house, and the garage is way up there with my tools in it. And guys... You know what you do. You've done it too. Women, you may have too. You take that pair of pliers and you try to use it as a hammer. 
And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So, God's given us wisdom. God has given us intellect. God's given us reason that we are to use in life. Think of that as the pair of pliers. And when you need pliers, it works great. But there are times when God's wisdom supersedes our wisdom. And that's when you need the hammer. That's when you need God's hammer of wisdom. Which tool is the right tool? Show that last slide, if you would, please. So my question to you is simply this. Are you using the right tool? Are you using your wisdom or are you using God's wisdom? There's times when you should be using your wisdom and I should be using my wisdom, but there are times when we should be using God's wisdom because God's wisdom is greater than, it's the umbrella wisdom, if you will. It's over all. And sometimes when we use our wisdom, it's like using a pair of pliers. Lord, your wisdom is greater than our wisdom. You give us wisdom to use in our life. You've created us as thinking, reasoning, rational human beings. Yeah, Lord, you also created us not to rely on our wisdom all the time. And so, Lord, as we read your book, as we read this Bible, as we allow Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, show us how your wisdom intersects with ours. And when your wisdom is the wisdom we should be leaning on instead of our own intellect, because as we find out in Proverbs, there's a way right unto man that leads to death because we've used the wrong wisdom. We've used our own instead of God's. So, Father, give us wisdom to know when to use our wisdom and when to use your wisdom, Lord. We ask this in your name.